Greetings, friends! <laughs> Welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and kind of adorable man-eater. Alex Dandino, ASMR specialist. <laughs> Good lord, a lot of mustache moving there. We'll get to that. All right, guys, before today's... Amazing finale to our The Pod Serves Man uh, curation. A little business, guys. It is official. Your friends here at the Film Alchemist are on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get in, join our community, meet our uh, spectacular patrons we already have. And if you can and begin to climb uh, the official Highlander tier ranking system, you can select the specific movies you want to hear in a Patreon-exclusive library. It's the best way to help us out. It's the best way to help this show be the show you want and deserve. We know dollars are hard-earned, so we're working hard. Uh, always coming up with more ideas for stuff to do for our patrons over there. So, uh, again, that's patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. For those of you who already help us, thank you. It means the world to us. For those of you about who are about to, thank you as well. Make sure you go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist, so you can see our just delicious buffet kind of faces. A lot of good face meat on this pod, or at least a lot of meat in general. A lot of meat, just meat. <laughs> The email is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials you're on. We're easy to get a hold of, and we love to hear from you. Also, if you'd be so kind, leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. And make sure uh, to invite some of your friends along for the ride. All right, Alex has some very special business to get to. Also, for those of you who might not know, I am part of a comic book anthology. I'm a comic book writer here and there. I wrote a story in an anthology uh, called Producing the End of the World from our friends Soda and Telepaths. Um, I'm one of 18 writers in this anthology. It's being kickstarted right now. If you like stories about the end of the world, like a bunch of different stories, like mine is about the last concert ever. There's some that are actually about the actual end of the world. Um, uh, they're all really good, but uh, I would implore you. We'll put in the show notes, go to the Kickstarter, think about throwing us a couple of bucks. It would really help us out. It's a lofty, kickstarter goal but these things tend to work out for bigger books like this and there's a lot of good content so please 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 think about contributing to producing the end of the world from soda and telepaths With it's yours a truly. wonderful story that alex added so uh make sure to get over there guys again that will be in the show notes all right enough of that business let's get uh munchin man munchin tasty as hell uh, the Pod Serves Man has been an interesting ride uh, through the motel hell. We took a stop there. Then we bone tomahawked each other. Then we delicatessened another kind of hotel-themed man-eating tale. And tonight we come to maybe the most thoughtful of our uh, cannibalistic <laughs> flicks. Thoughtful. Selected by our patrons. Another benefit of being one of our patrons. When we set a curation, the patrons get a vote on what they want the fourth film to be. So yeah. of our uh, array of movies they could select, Ravenous won, and not by a little bit. Ravenous might have blown the competition like away, unlike any other movie we've uh, posted. This is a beloved movie. I went to Letterboxd to see how uh, some of our listeners and friends uh, like this film. It's a very beloved film. Uh, so Ravenous, essentially, and I, I'll be up front, I had never seen this movie before, which is always a fun uh, thing for me. So Ravenous is the story 
of a soldier in the time of the Mexican-American War, whenever the fuck that is. I just said that because I don't know years. Because uh, I'm not a fucking calendar. Why do I need to know fucking years? I have calendars for that. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> I just said calendar like five times more than I thought I would this whole Calendar, time. calendar, calendar, calendar. Yeah, calendar man. Uh, so this guy was in a war. He has some PTSD going on. He gets sent out to a, a rural retreat. Seems like it'll be fine and bourbon drinking. And then all hell breaks loose. Man eating Wendigo. Uh, and it is... This film, because I, I, I expected one film, and what I got was something completely different. We talk, the whole theory of our show, right, Film Alchemist, not just a nod to Full Metal Alchemist, which I adore, but we talk about how movies are more than just the number parts, right? Directing, acting, whatever, right? There, So a lot, all these movies have mixed sums, right? And when added together, it can become something totally new. Ravenous has several just strange, strange choices made that made this film a little bit of a mixed bag for me. I like the movie, but it feels like if we were going to say the, the word of the week, peewee style, right? Tone. Tone is the word of the week for Ravenous because it's all over <laughs> the place. Yeah. <laughs> That's not peewee. I don't know what that Sorry, was. Slappy, yeah, I guess. Uh, the tone of this film is the strangest and most memorable thing about the film. Uh, but I did like it. Alex, what are your opening thoughts on Ravenous? Um, yeah, the tone threw me for a loop several times, in fact. Um, <laughs> I kind of just, like, I tried getting a grip. I Like, we'll get to this later there's one part of this film process that i have to say is like almost like to a point where like distracted me to a point where i was like i can't even like focus on this movie right now. i know exactly what you're talking about you do know and we'll the get to score that. the score of this film let's just the start score? up top okay cool the score of this from by it's from michael we'll Nyman do a couple and, of, how about this we'll call out a couple of the things that threw us for a loop yeah and then so we'll the dig into is, the movie so the first thing is the score. Now the score itself is very interesting. It's by Michael Michael Nyman and Damon Alburn from Gorillas and Blur. If you're mm. from the '90s, like some of us are, um, <laughs> are those people who think the '90s was ten years ago, like Griffey and I. Um, but the score itself is not. I mean, it's distracting because it's mixed so high up in the mix, like. There's a scene. Oh, that's scene, what you're going with. <laughs> here's my thing. Like, yeah, it's like Christopher Nolan saw the movie. And he's like, it's a great movie, but let me mix the music all the way up. Um, the, some guy's the, like, wait, we have sliders. <laughs> this was the honestly, this was like all the other weird, like goofy shit kind of that's in the movie. This was the thing that killed me. And I like yeah. I've never like we've watched so many of these movies and like some of them taken out of immediately like this one. Revenus, I was like in, like I was watching and I'm like, cool. Like this is the second Western we've watched. It's weird that cannibalism and Westerns seem to always like fit. Three Westerns, all horror films for us. Yeah. Like all like <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. But so the scene where, uh, uh um, who's the Neil McDonough mm -hmm. is, uh, going down in the cave mm -hmm. when he actually starts his descent into the cave, the music cue that kicks in, it was like, Whoa, like it's this like deep bass mm -hmm. and I'm just like, what is it's very like, wow, it's kind wow. of anachronistic <laughs> almost. I'm just like, 
what's going on? Well, not only like, that, when they climb the out of the cave, I agree with you. It pulls you right out of the film, right? Yeah. Uh, like, for instance, when they pull themselves out of the cave, the slaughterhouse is found. Uh, and uh, Calhoun is just slaughtering the party, right? Yeah. He tells the uh, Christian guy, you know, run. And then all of a sudden, we just start this hoedown music. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? I was like, is this a Benny Hill routine we're doing now? The stakes are, I'm going to slaughter you and eat you in the wilderness. Your loved ones will have no idea what happened to you. But they play this goofy-ass music. At the end, there's like almost a, it almost sounds like a house music beat when we're doing like our final like sword fight. I mean, there are so many weird there's like a there's one part where he's walking back from his horrific ordeal right uh boyd is walking back to the mm-hmm. camp and i swear to god if you had told me that was a lifted track from napoleon dynamite i would have believed you the score of this film <laughs> is more repulsive to me than eating a human being um it's it's, it's bizarre it's not that the music itself is bad yeah it doesn't belong fun. in this film no. And it's funny because our friend Josh Lobo, uh, who's been on the show a lot, writer and director of the wonderful film I Trapped the Devil, I read his letterbox review and he said, literally the best score of any film ever. And I don't know if Josh at this point has just become a person who's constantly trying to set me up for feuds. But this soundtrack is not, I wouldn't say it's crippling to the film because I really enjoy this film. Right. But it's very bad and does not belong. There's also this weird tone of this movie very often wishes it was a 90s indie comedy, right? So we start with the Nietzsche quote, right? Uh, Men who hunt monsters must beware they themselves don't become monsters. I'm paraphrasing, right? Sorry, sorry, Nietzsche. Sorry, Nietzsche, if you're uh, rolling around in your grave. It's a Nietzsche. Yeah. Oh, Nietzsche. Oh, Nietzsche. I'm sorry. I said the words wrong. I actually think he was German. Neither here nor there. It's definitely German. So we do the, uh, you know, be careful, men who hunt monsters, not to become a monster. <laughs> Fart sound, eat me, <laughs> anonymous. And I was like, that's the first thing you see in the film. And I was like, wait, what? I thought this was this, you know, sad cowboy introspection and destroying our humanity. Oh, no, it's like the fart sound effect movie. And then as we, like, saunter off across the West as he gets sent westward bound. Uh, they do this weird where it, the sound effects, because it's like this very like wide vista shots, right, of this snowy alpine forest in the west, right, this desolate yeah. landscape. The the actors' names come in in the credits, and they're bright red, right? It's almost like Comic Sans. And they slide in, and it's a whoosh. They do like the whoosh sound effect. It's so – there because after Kevin Smith, there were so many 90s like micro-budget indie comedies – and I was that's what it felt like I was watching for like 20 minutes. It actually reminded me of the credits. The it reminded me of the opening credits for um Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> like how fucking bright the uh, yeah. the title cards were. That's yeah. how I always think of it. And then yeah, like the motion in, the sliding. I was like the slide in was What are I we watching? Like, why why is this? Cuz I was like isn't this like kind of a big sad moment for him? Whoosh. <laughs> like they should have just had words coming on him on a PS style. Depressed. It- <laughs> <laughs> Hungry. Whoosh. But yeah, no, it okay. Been, it should have been like Batman Bams, yeah. Yeah, and they 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 the comedy works better once we get past this kind of opening like what movie are they making? And this was yeah. the 90s and some of this happened, right? This obviously was not an enormously uh budgeted film. Right. So, I 
we got that out of the way, right? There are some very hinky rough edges on this film at times. But once you get past that stuff, right? If that doesn't rub you the wrong way right away. I, I said at the top of the film, I think this might be the most introspective of the cannibal movies. I think there's a lot to chew on in this film. I thought... Uh, I knew you were going to do it. Yeah, you could see it. Yeah, you could see it in my away. eyes. <laughs> I saw as far as way, far away as I saw a guy who happens to walk into camp and definitely didn't eat people. Yeah, so in your brain you just heard, whoosh, he's going to do it. No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the idea of uh, the soldier with PTSD mm-hmm. and what that does to a man. Uh, mixed with the idea of cannibalism, right? And the Wendigo, right? This, So Wendigo is essentially a The Wendigo a beat is where, actually really interesting. Yeah, and it's it's the curse of you eat another human being, right? And that manifests, that loss of humanity, that dehumanizing your fellow man, mm-hmm. uh, manifests in you becoming an ever-hungry and more voraciously starving monster. Right. And they don't have to make anyone a monster. They have no prosthetics, And it works perfectly well because they've set the emotional tone and the psychological tone of what that would do to you, right? Yeah. And there's some great beats with the Wendigo stuff. And when you pair that with this man who has seen this carnage, right? Because we open and Guy Pierce's character uh, has been in this war and he was in the midst of it, right? And he got scared and he just laid down. He was so overwhelmed by the carnage. We see these shots of this up-close brutality. He actually gets buried amongst the dead, right? And he's just staring yeah. at his he commander's like he blown such, apart face. He has such a horrifying experience. He literally passes out on the battlefield. Like he's like, yeah. He, quite frankly, like falls asleep. He essentially he's plays so possum. traumatized. Yeah, he just plays possum, and then he wakes up under the dead bodies. Comes out, does a really like well techniqued neck snapping, mm-hmm. and manages to capture the enemy command because he's behind enemy lines. So he gets a medal, but because of the medal for cowardice, as he says, right. they also want to punish him. So they send him out west, right? I think this is a lovely idea, right? That you are the soldier who has committed a murder, right? We see the next snap. He's going in. He did the mission. But because he didn't do the mission in a manly enough way, he's still punished, right? And I think there's a lot of interesting – I think there's a lot of interesting uh, run in that idea, Right. This idea of as we were conquering this new world, I think a lot of these movies don't take the time to show what that must have been like, right? Mm Because a lot of these movies in this time period in Westerns we've talked about, the shooting people seems as simple as, well, I got to go pick some corn today. Oh, hey, cowpoke. Right? Oh, another cowpoke dead. Right? Grab his boots. And they never show the kind of built-up trauma of this and i thought that was a really nice addition to this film i I liked watching that that arc and then watching that butt up against this newfound uh you know he could become the wendigo himself Mm -hmm. and him having to truly grapple with that right making that decision again in a way i thought that was wonderful what did you make of this journey yeah it's i like you know this one does a really good job of the the real against the surreal like and like you're saying the butting up is really it's really well done i i love i love the setup for this movie like the concept and the conceit to get us to the location is awesome i also love it's it might be now one of my all-time favorite scenes in a movie is the 
ASMR of Guy Pierce dealing with like all these guys eating just the grossest bloody steaks. Oh, what like, a shot! What a scene, though, right? They're like what an incredible table. I mean, it's inc- it's an incredible. What it is is especially after you watch the entire movie, it's an incredible opener. Mm-hmm. Like really to like open up like what this is for this guy, and you realize this is this is human flesh but this is flesh that was literally like this is like it sat upon him anyways and like all the stakes are very yeah. bloody well he's, he's been just, cattle he's himself he's been at the bottom yeah. he's been the cattle yeah like it's this fascinatingly done moment and awesome beat that sets the scene for the rest of the yeah. movie so once you arrive at the camp which is painted as like basically it ends up being like <laughs> it ends up being like a day's end in the middle of nowhere because like for weary travelers <laughs> but like because that's almost precisely how uh jeffrey jones's character describes it. he goes i don't know people just show up here sometimes we let them live for like 10 minutes while they yeah. wait out the wait out the weather it's yeah mostly it's just a lot of bourbon drinking and peyote smoking with dr kett ton of oh yeah dude yeah making wow. a second western cannibal appearance i am i am not lying to you first off this this cast is incredible really great cast i was not expecting david arquette to show up in this movie having i knew nothing about this cast past guy pierce david arquette shows up as yeah like just a fucking peyote psycho you're like cool i mean all bets are off if d-arquette's in the film though right the the setup of the story is very interesting and more introspective than you imagine Mm -hmm. the cast is wonderful right you got neil mcdonough uh, who plays uh fucking Calhoun? What's that guy's name? Wonderful oh, Robert actor. Robert Carlyle, man. Wonderful God fucking damn, actor. He's, he's so great good. in everything. And I've seen yeah. him in a lot. This is right up there with my favorite roles he's in. I he, think so too, man. He really owns this role a lot. And it's it's just it's played very well, right? So I love a lot of what's going on here, right? Did I ever tell you my Neil McDonough story before we move on? No. <laughs> so when I was still in L.A., me and Carmine, our friend Carmine, we went to uh, see Meatloaf in concert. Awesome. And as me and Carmine were one to do, we got super fucking stoned, right? And I was like, I'll drive us down there. I had a map, but I couldn't feel my feet. They felt like balloons. So after a block, I just parked my car, and I'm like, dude, we got to run to the subway and get down to Meatloaf, right? So we go to the subway. We get lost. We're wandering around downtown. We finally get to Meatloaf, right? There are no, no way to get to the front. It's all packed in. So we're like, fuck. So we post up by this table in the back. And all of a sudden, we just hear this, what's up, brothers? We turn, and it's Neil McDonough, also at the Meatloaf concert. Wow. And I was like, I was like, hey, you're the guy they wanted us to believe could beat up The Rock in Walking Tall. <laughs> so I was super stunned. He goes, yeah, yeah, good one. And he's like, but I would. Uh. And so we start shooting the shit, right? Well, next thing you know, his uh, date comes over. Right. And she is this gargantuan woman, right? <laughs> Not, like, obese, but just, like, enormously tall, right? right? Like, like an she, Amazon. Yeah, like, I mean, she literally looked like a comic book character. Like, she was, like, almost seven feet tall, just huge, right? Like, you shook her hand, you're like, oh, my God. Like, just a big lady, really nice lady, right? Right, right. So we're sitting there hanging out. We're all drinking and fucking stoned to shit. Meatloaf comes on, and she loses it, right? This fucking gargantuan woman loses it. She's like, Meatloaf! <laughs> she fucking <laughs> rushes the stage. And I shit you not, she's so big, you see the fucking crowd parting like the fucking Red Sea. <laughs> she is moving motherfuckers out of the way that are jazzed on meatloaf. So big, chunky guys like us. Right. Moving them out of the way like they're nothing. She makes it to the stage. 
Meatloaf's up there dying of an asthma attack trying to sing a song, right? She gets on stage. A security guard tries to grab her. She fucking one-arm brushes him. Right? <laughs> so the next thing you know, she is, like, juggernauting her way to Meatloaf, who's kind of sidestepping and, like, trying not to die of a heart attack. It took five security guards to try to wrangle this broad off the stage. And she is just working them. And we're just sitting there going, Neil McDonough, look at your girlfriend. She's kicking ass. We're like, <laughs> we're losing our minds. And right after that, they did an intermission, right? Where Meatloaf went off the stage and the light went black. And we're like, oh, God, they must be arresting or something. A projector screen drops down. And a giant little John face in front of a roiling thunderstorm cloud comes out and goes yeah and starts rapping so that meatloaf can fucking hit oxygen it looks like and come back out and try to sing with lil john it is one of the greatest high experiences of my life and my neil mcdonough story so not to completely derail the pod i mean that is a worthy derailment right there did his girlfriend eat human flesh that's what i'm posting (laughs) i've never seen a person dominate the way that that gargantuan lady it's possible those security guards lost their lives it's possible she was already eating people and was a wendigo maybe neil mcdonough's character reich survived and then through (laughs) the years kept creating these gargantuan dates uh with human flesh but anywho so we get to the camp right and it's this night just totally derailing the show uh meatloaf thanks for trying appreciate the effort uh voice long gone the voice had been cannibalized years ago. <laughs> I actually have a meatloaf story. I'll save that for another pot. I have another meatloaf story. That's neither here nor there. What I like to is, so we meet the characters, right? Again, we're kind of doing the 90s comedy, right? Neil McDonough, ah, screaming and thing. A fucking wandering stranger comes in from the cold. They wake him up and he tells the sad story. It's a kind of the Donner Party thing, right? We right. tried. Uh, this commander wanted us to go over the mountains. We got caught in a cave. One man died and we started to eat him. And I love what he says here, right? Now, this is where it starts to, this is where the movie starts to get really interesting to me. And this is where I think the cannibalism in this film is used to better effect, right? Right. Because he has a line that I loved, right? He said, the storm didn't pass. They ate the ox, they ate the horse, they ate his own dog, they ate shoes, belts, whatever. Guy dies, they start eating his leg. And he goes, and God help me, I came back in that cave. I don't know if I would have stopped him or not, but when I came back in that cave, and I smelled the smell of meat cooking. I thanked the Lord. And then he talks about how after that, their hunger was more severe right, and more savage. And I think that's a wonderfully brilliant way to phrase this, right? They, even this thing that repulses us, when he smelled it, he thanked the Lord. Again, proving my point, we would all eat another person. Sure. But what did you make of this, uh, his story, right? He says, I guess I have to tell you a tale. And this is the backstory we get for Calhoun. I mean, it's just, I mean, again, it's Robert Carlyle. Like, it's this really, like, Fucking it's this really man. incredible, like, beat. And to be honest, I'm hearing it. And it's really interesting because this movie does such a good job of not, like, doing. And you start eyeballing up other humans and you're like, maybe I would. Yeah. Probably to me, I would. To me, like what it does is, again, I have not seen the, I had not seen the movie, but I'm watching it and I'm like, I smell a setup, <laughs> like something about it, just, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because like you thought he was doing a little thing. community theater, 
He was this doing a little one man show. About Robert Carlyle <laughs> is like because he's been Begbie from Train Spotting. My first thought is like, how often is it that Robert Carlyle is like the character you're supposed to like? You're trust? metagaming the movie. <laughs> you're like there is something so generically not trustworthy about. Here. <laughs> yeah, that would be my. That would that would that was like my assertion the whole time. It was like something's. It wasn't. I guess I'll, I'll not act like I knew what was going to happen. But I was just like something doesn't rub right. Yeah. The way the story's told. Yeah, and honestly, I'll tell you this: I didn't expect the movie to play it when it did. When it went to the woods in the cave, right? I assumed the rest of the movie would be the most dangerous game, right? Someone in that cave was going to be hunting everyone, right? That's the movie I thought I was going to get. Most dangerous game, Predator, what have you. Right. I thought it was really wonderful, man. Uh, there's a really nice scene when uh, Calhoun finishes uh, the religious guy's hymn for him, gives him the word, right? Mm -hmm. I thought that was really sly considering what we were about to find out. And he falls and gets hurt, right? And there's this crazy yeah. scene when he's fucking licking the dude's wound. And he's like, I was just having a nightmare. I'm sorry. Well, and that was the one. And I was like, fucking something's coming up, man. And like, by that point, again, it, once you see someone licking another man's like ripped open, bloody tum tum, you're like, the trust has said the trust. That's always the sailed. one where you're sitting. <laughs> Imagine your life. Imagine your life. If you just woke up somewhere and you saw someone licking a bloody tum tum. It's just like there's. And again, it's <laughs> red. Flag. I think this is interesting, though, because like the. The, the that happening is like such a fucking like obvious red flag, not just for characters, but for like viewers. We're just like, okay, something's wrong with this guy. And like, I, but, and that should be like, to me, this is the kind of movie where you want to keep like, who is actually this person quiet for as long as you can. So it's interesting to me that really it sets off right there. You know exactly what's about to happen. Like yeah. there's no question about it. Like why would the guy be licking 40 minutes or wound? like 30 some minutes into the film, mm -hmm. they completely tell you this guy's in on it. Yeah. And what I like about the movies, it's not this kind of who done it. We can't trust everyone, you know, the thing style. Right. This is a uh, yeah, I fucking did it. Here's why I did it. Here's why you should do it. And here's also why you can't fucking judge right. me. And I think what's even more interesting, and because, like, yeah, we're th only 30 minutes into the movie at this point, mm -hmm. where they're fucking diamond out the entire beat. And you're like, I know something's coming that's, uh, that I should be more... Something about this is, like, I'm not cognizant. Something is happening that I'm not... And I think that's what's great, is because then you go further, and we get to some of the... You get to the cave beat, and then the actual reveal happens, where it's The like, cave is it's awesome. Not, that was cool. The cave beat is incredible. Like, not, it's so cool. Uh, the idea that they were strung up like those slabs of beef that Rocky punches. Yeah. That was awesome. Because now you're like, this is not like a, we were just hungry people. No, they were. This was now like on a mass production like level. fattening right? a yeah. calf. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I thought that was gnarly, man. And, and yeah, then, like the but, turn oh, is oh, great. great. Yeah. The turn's great. And then, yeah, like this very intrusive music starts happening. You're like. This is an important moment. I don't need music for it. But... Yeah, Benny Hill, Benny Hill kicks in. <laughs> hoedown! Cannibal hoedown! And, and then, but and this is the part of the movie, though, where, like, if you watched it, okay, if you just watch a clip, because, I like, I watched the movie, and then I went online, 
and watched I watched the trailer because the trailer, by the way, out of Scream Factory is is very weird. It sets a completely different tone for the movie. Yeah. So I probably a very somber horror movie. tone. And I'm very glad I didn't watch (laughs) the trailer prior because the trailer prior really actually paints it as like an actual black comedy. Like it markets it incorrectly or kind of. I don't know. It depends on how you like to watch this movie. But then they prepared you for the Nietzsche versus fart sound open. <laughs> Nietzsche versus depart. Well, and then that's the and that's what happens because like yeah, we have this like really somber moment with Robert Carlyle and like the like leading up to a lot of that. It's very, it's kind of dark. Like it's not necessarily meant to be like a this funny whole fucking beater. film is man. Like there, there is not a lot of sunshine in this film, even when they're attempting to do comedy. Right. Like the him, undertone of all of this is horrific. Like when Boyd jumps off the cliff because it's revealed that uh, uh, Calhoun's Ives, who's the actual guy who like ate everyone. Yeah, he was the military man. Yeah, Boyd jumps off the cliff and hits every branch on a tree on the way down, and yeah. then proceeds to roll. I I, I mean I, it seemed like a I timed stupid it idea out. the moment he did it's, it. <laughs> it's all uh, yeah, like it was a stupid thing to do anyways. But then he's rolling down the hill, and I timed it. I think it's about. I think it's about forty-five seconds you of straight watch, just rolling down the hill beat. Like it's it's like, it's like a Bonnie Python sketch. You think? And then all of a sudden, the soundtrack kicks in with rolling, 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 rolling. What? <laughs> just because I, more misplaced music would be great. That, or I was expecting as soon as he hit the ground, because Damon Alburn's part of it, like it was going feel good, feels bad. Ouch! 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 Yeah. No, I mean, I I understand all that, too. But there is something about this moment, right? Because this whole moment is really interesting because when he gets stuck down there, right? Reich wakes up and tries to strangle him one last time. He's stuck in there with Reich, a fellow soldier. We see Calhoun up there just getting on with it, right? And there's a moment I love when he starts talking to Calhoun or uh, Reich's dead body. And he's like, I need you to tell me what to do, what to do. And then he looks at him. He just goes, you're dead. You're safe now. And it looks like he starts cutting into his leg, right? We don't actually mm-hmm. see it. But it looks like we know it's about to happen. They're juxtaposing that with Calhoun skipping fucking rocks in the pond. He's having a great time just chuckling. He's a man free. So the the this is what will carry us in the second half of the film, right? Is we have Boyd and his immense guilt and his feeling that he must suffer and punish himself. Why, we do not know, right? Because he was a soldier and he saw other people die. But he takes that as his own issue, right? Survivor's guilt, I guess. And Calhoun saying, fuck all of this. I'm going to do exactly what I want. And the movie equates the decision to eat another human, right? Not as much with cannibalism, but almost with just a bucking of what other people say we have to be. There's almost this kind of like streak of like Wild West freedom, right? Yeah. That is, is it, exactly what that is. Yeah, I, and it, that, it, it's that's really how it felt interesting. for sure. It is like instead of it being this because it starts and it's interesting because like with Boyd's like with Guy Pierce's character Boyd, it feels through the entire movie it is like this like man's curse on themselves. Like it's this very weird like I wouldn't call it a Jekyll and Hyde thing, but it is like it's like a werewolf curse. Sorry, that's how I put it. It's like a werewolf curse kind of Jekyll and really sad hot topic kids smoking by a dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this Jekyll and Hyde curse that persists through the movie for Boyd. Everyone else is, I mean, everyone else, but like Calhoun slash Ives 
takes it as this yeah like it's an acceptance of existence it's how you it's how not you continue that, on though, and right? not go with the rest of the rest of like not be tamed like yeah. the wild west and not only that this was a man who was very sick from tuberculosis right so he was sick he was ready to go to a sanitarium he thought he was done right right he heard the story of the wendigo and i thought this was really fascinating too right this fucking white soldier who's helping to take the West from a Native American. Here's their tale of warning, right? About becoming less than human in the Wendigo. And he goes, I got to try that. He hears that not as a curse tale, but a holy shit, I'm getting free powers. And all I got to do is eat some people that I don't give a shit about anyways. Although he does also eat his wife, we learn. But I thought that was really interesting too, is that <laughs> I'm just blowing past the Native American warning. And seeing this as a chance to be truly free and be, and they, again, they kind of get away from the Wendigo thing. Cause you don't see him kind of falling apart, right? His hunger is not showing upon him like a vampiric thing where he's like, I have to eat. I'm crazed. If I don't eat, he just seems like a super happy, well-adjusted guy. He's like, Oh, I'm just making stew. No big deal. You're going right. to be the stew, but I look happy. Hey, come on, man. We're all good. I'm just out here having fun. He looks totally free. Right. Whereas all the other people look dirty and forlorn. He looks stoked to be. Yeah. Here. He's like engaged. Yeah. And, and again, like it's almost this. I think that's the thing is it's that like Hannibal Lecter levity that counterbalances like mm -hmm. what's actually happening. He pulls off the comedy bits fantastically. He does. Like it's it's that's believable. Everything else is kind of hokey, but like that's believable because we've already gone past the sane with him. Like we're so far beyond because he's eating people. And not only that, he's, he's a Wendigo. Like he's a supernatural being already. So for him to be, it's, um, it's really fast. Like, again, like it's fascinating the things that work so well in this movie when it does, when, when like, to me, they absolutely shouldn't. And it's weird. I was, I don't know if you read anything about the production for this movie, but the director got fired two weeks really? in and, Robert Carlyle's friend. It was Antonio probably Bird. the fart card. It was the fart card. They saw dailies and like, we can't do farts. <laughs> and the whooshing red credits. They're like, oh boy. Yeah. Um, actually, Robert Carlyle brought his friend Antonia Bird in to finish the movie. Wow. But like, this was, uh, yeah, this was like a big thing. It's, uh, but like that to me, I was like, is that why there's a weird tone to it? But I don't think that's the case at all. Cause two weeks is, long enough in like movie making land but at the same time like if you're there for the remote majority of the rest of the shoot like you shape the narrative yourself as a director and even in the edit so like to me this is a it's not a matter of like a patchwork production to me this is someone who's very very particular to the style of who she who's getting cast in the movie and then on top of that like what kind of movie it's going to be well there's definitely i mean there there is a bunch of kind of gallows humor in this right like, yeah. a lot of the movie is mocking the idea that death is some important, sad thing we need to fear, right? And I think that these guys, they so are confronted by death all the time. And the idea of going out west, there is this, we're no longer in this real world. What are you talking? People doubt here all the fucking time. Uh, and it means nothing. Their struggle and sacrifice is in vain, right? And so these people don't have this kind of, Oh, my God, I have so much to lose. No one in this film seems to have that, right? I mean, Calhoun literally eats his own wife. That's how little he cares about losing what he has. Right. And so there is this void that needs to be filled, right? When 
you're not fighting for life. What is the thing? Now they're fighting for principle, right? And that right. leads, sadly, to mockery, right? If you're the one taking the stand, right? Everyone else can, what is your fucking problem? So he, they actually have a great confrontation, right? Because everyone thinks Boyd's insane. And Calhoun is Ives, and he becomes the new commander of the fort, right? Yeah. And yeah, everyone this, still There's a second crazy. half of this movie that is a completely different film that I was not expecting. <laughs> this is the part I wasn't expecting either. Because essentially now we're doing Devil's Advocate. Where Ives, and Cal Ives Calhoun is just like, dude, come along for the ride. Yeah. Like, you ate a guy already. What are you... You ate a guy to survive... And now you are high-handing, right? You were a soldier who killed for money. Now you ate a guy to survive. Why now draw the line, right? Why look at right. me and judge me as some subhuman piece of shit when I am just you without the guilt, right? right. I did it because I wanted to have a better life, right? And you're judging me because you want to continue to be miserable. And that is not the movie i thought i thought this would be a trying to set up oh we got to prove that he did it and you know what it's just not yeah me too it's just not that film and for the i would say to be more interesting that way i agree like once we got back and ives took over the camp ives calhoun took over the camp i was like okay so now this movie is about who's the real monster of like you can't it's like uh like the way fright night works you know like trying to prove like so like it's literally someone shouting into the dark the whole time what I loved was, yeah, it ended up being that. Like, it's much more this, like, I wouldn't call it a morality tale because they're both eating people. But it's more like, it's more just, it is like about, like, the definition of humanity in the face of. I think it is a morality tale in a bit, right? You think? You, really? Well, you're on the right path a little bit, right? So there's that great line when he's, Calhoun says, um, America itself is expanding and consuming everything it can, right? That this is right. the country they're a part of. This is why they came here, is to take, 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 take. And so what you're doing is you're setting up this, are we creatures that exist to, this kind of this religious notion, right? Are we these creatures that are here to satiate our desires and enjoy ourselves, Right. Or are, do we have some higher obligation, right? Because all religion and all these moral codes are things we set upon ourselves, right? They are depriving ourselves of things that are maybe alluring to some parts of us, right? Our, our lesser selves, as they would say. Right. And he's just asking this guy why, right? What has this gotten you in your life, right? You were this guy and you ended up in the war with your fucking buddy's brains melting on you. You know, and then you did what they wanted and you still captured the guys. Now you're here. And what did that lead you to? Eating another fucking soldier's leg. Like, why? Why not join us? Why not feel better? Why not feel happy? And almost what he says is when you're eating another human, what you're actually consuming is that nagging humanity in yourself, right? You can take a imagine your life. You don't have to feel guilt and shame all the time. Right? Like every right. day. We all put so much pressure on ourselves to be great and do this and that. And those kind of things fucking weigh upon us. Imagine just saying, I'll give that up. And what price would you set upon that, right? So this movie's asking this really big question. And it is kind of a, 
you know, a little bit of this morality tale, right? Is there something – so in Boyd's decision, right, to continue to fight, right, is there any kind of nobility in that? Did he accomplish anything? I got to be honest, no. I mean, it feels like no, but maybe – because this is the thing, right? So it- Calhoun is itching the scratch, right? That's how he's living now. He wants to consume. So in a way, maybe Boyd is only fulfilling his own kind of selfish desire to get one back, right? Is that he thinks if he can save a couple people in his own mind, that will right the cosmic scales for him. And that's fine, right? Because here's a scene I wanted to talk about. He fucking eats the stew, right? Calhoun sticks him when he says he won't fucking be a Wendigo. And he's like, you join us. We'll get the general to join us. We'll have a really good thing. He's doing the hard sell, right? The Pacino thing. Come on, Eddie, Eddie Barzool, right? And Eddie Barzool is actually. Eddie Barzool's the general. In the fucking fort. And he's doing the thing, right? He's like, we'll be selective. We'll just eat bad people. We're not breaking up families. We're not eating little kids, which I thought was funny because he's morally equivocating there, right? right? So he knows he's full of shit, too. And when he says he won't join, he shanks him. And we watch his blood spilling out on that fucking couch as they're having like the interview with the vampire closed dinner (laughs) and he could just let it go he could just be fucking done which feels like all he wants this whole movie why in that moment eat the flesh and not just be done i asked myself the exact same question because to me it is like this to me it's the aberration of like it's the aberration of storytelling is like you set up a character. This is like kind of to me, like this is actually sort of a flaw in the movie. I think is because, okay. Well, like to me, the moral, the moral situation is, yeah, you fucking like, if you're going to prove that you're a better man, quote unquote, than a character who eats people to stay alive and not just stay alive, but like stay as an apex predator, you're taking the moral high road in your opinion. So like that you take that one to the grave, but like for me, for him to eat it <laughs> sort of takes away from any sort of morality. Like that he's trying, like there's just join well, the game. Ask you, Cause technically this is the second time he's eaten a human being. Right. So he already doesn't really already have a moral that. high ground to stand on. Right. Right. So he's drowning he's himself this... in guilt times two, right. but it is this it's, ex- but interview with the vampires are great example of like it's almost it's verbatim the exact same thing which is like louis won't eat anything but like sewer rats and fucking crocodiles or some shit and lestat spends that entire time being like why are you putting yourself through this like what do you think you gain by like this is who you are now there's absolutely nothing about what you are that will change you just have to accept the reality of this and go so what happens is, is Guy Pierce buys into that reality. He accepts that reality. And by doing that, essentially foregoes any sort of like, like foregoes any kind of like need to be quote unquote, the hero of the story. Cause I, I gotta be honest, like that makes no sense to me. Like from a storytelling standpoint, to have your character who fought the entire movie say, no, I'm not going to do it unless he was doing it but even then he still does it like unless he's doing it to stay strong enough to end up killing him at the end i mean i think that's the road they're hoeing right is that he is he is going to make this faustian bargain right so that he can then bring it down right because once he eats it we never see him like oh this is great he immediately is like i'm gonna kill that motherfucker let me out and so the question to me is not 
I guess the question is not why does he eat the meat, but what does he think this will accomplish? Right. And I was like, maybe this is just the chance in the movie. And I know uh, Loba is talking to him about we were fighting about the soundtrack. And he talked about how he found this movie uh, really homoerotic, right? Like there's a lot of this kind of yeah. subtext of, you know, there's something extra going on. And I think maybe there's something with that too. this not being able to be who you want to be. Right. And it may be when Boyd's character eats the 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 meat stew. Right. That's his first chance in the film to make a choice completely on his own, right? He doesn't choose to be stabbed and have to eat this to save his life. But by saying, I will eat this, but then I'm going to get this motherfucker, right? That is the only time in the film we see him make a choice on his own accord. So maybe there is something, again, about, you know, the Wendigo eating humanity and letting you be free of guilt and this and that maybe that is also what it's doing for boyd it just manifests in this kind of falsely noble path because that's the funny thing while they're fighting to the death we see the fucking uh dickhole general munch and stew yeah so we already have another old ass wendigo running around unsuspecting but I think the movie is telling us, right? And I think that's why the Wendigos don't become monsters in this, in the prosthetic sense, right? Right. Is that within all of us, if we can take away those little bits of humanity, right? You gobble those up, and it's not that far into the abyss for us, right? We no. are really close to the edge of being monstrous at all fucking time. Yeah. Uh, and that, that guy it's... just wanting some fucking stew meat. Now he's a fucking... I mean, he was granted he was a piece of shit the entire flick. He, he made was. it very clear he was a shitty guy. By the way, special shout-out, John Spencer's last on-screen appearance. Was it really? Last film before wow. he died. Wow. That fucking sucks. That's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess last... Not last on... Last theatrical appearance. Oh, okay. Well, that, that but sucks. So he was the dickbag general <laughs> who <laughs> ate the stew and became a Wendigo. The dick general eating Wendigo meat. There you go. Uh, well, let, okay, so let's pair this decision of Boyd's with Hart, right? Because Hart is forced to become a Wendigo against his will. Right. Tries his best to manifest it. And then also caves in and says, I can't live like this anymore. I'll let you go, but you got to kill me first. Why does Hart give up once he's already become the Wendigo and feels great? I mean, to me, it ends up being this... It ends up being this choice of, uh, like, it's this man versus, like, it's the man versus beast argument. You know, it's like, who, who what, what can you live, what can you live as? Like, how can you live with yourself? What makes you feel that live, existing a certain way is okay? Like, I think that is, that to me has always been sort of the, that to me is a big thing about this movie in general is like, these guys are asking themselves throughout the entire movie, what are you comfortable living as? It's just like we get back to Ives who says, I'm fine with who I am. Like I have made that decision. And long ago I made that decision. Mm. I made that decision six people ago, five people ago. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Life gave me jack shit. I took it for myself. Yeah. So like for him to take this and again, like it goes to the, you know, the native American man telling the story of what the Wendigo is. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, but that is, again, it's like the... Dude, he has one of my favorite lines in the movie, too. When he, he says, does? the white man eats the body of Jesus every Sunday. And I was like, man, that's a yeah, good that's fucking good. line. That's a good line. But that's... George! R.I.P., like, George. But that's another thing that, like, 
gives you strength. It is this like, you yeah. know, I mean, to be honest, like that, that's another reason people It's built into this Christian society, right? That consuming the flesh and blood Absolutely. of a savior. So, I mean, for, for me, Hart's decision to get rid of it is to say like, I can't live as a, I can't live as a monster that I know I'll become. Because the other thing too is like, Hart's been out there already. Hart's been sequestered already. Cause like that camp is this island of misfit toys of all these guys who fucked up. So you must assume that Hart did something really bad if he's a general and did that. So more than likely he's already a monster. He doesn't want to live with a, he doesn't want to live with being even more of a monster. Yeah. Cause he comes back and kills the drunkard captain, right? He's mm-hmm. the second guy. He killed Cleves. He killed the horses. So he's been on a slaughtering spree. And it is strange that in this moment, he chooses to forfeit that. Yeah. That's like, that's like, um, you know, a vampire being staked and smiling after it happening. Yeah. Like being released from some. Because once you've made that deal, you'd think you would live with it for, I don't know, 30, 40 years before you're like, you know what? Enough's enough. Yeah. These people don't have a good diet anymore. They all taste like <laughs> fucking orange soda now. I don't like it. Now I'm out. Right? I'd give it a run. <laughs> I'd give it a fucking run. Once you saw those golden arches going up, you're like, good Lord, this country's going to hell. No more free range, man. I'm out. I only eat fucking yard the table. That's how I eat. Jesus. I don't know. I would, if I had already fucking eaten and killed like 10 people, I would just keep fucking eating and killing. I think once you eat one person, I think you're pretty much off the hook and you can just go to town. I think it's that that that's the fucking first, you know, that's the that's the rock that starts the glass house crumbling. You got to yeah, do that. Yeah, a pretty that's a pretty persistent expectation. Like once it's over, it's over, you know. I mean, once you've eaten a man, like it's over. You're good. What else is left, you know? Yeah, you don't have to you probably don't wear pants anymore. You're not worried about abs. You're just like whatever. No, no. You're this just me like now. this is me. You're just sitting before a roaring fire naked, just juice dripping down your front of your you know, just, Oh, yeah, just fucking thigh grease dribbling on my teats. <laughs> glistening in the sun as i have just a bottle of fucking yahoo chocolate milk to wash it down Ah, yeah see this is important i can't live like this it's yahoo chocolate milk that you're going to be drinking i don't like to this is something very specific about me that some of you know i don't love to mix the eating and drinking that's not my favorite when it's time to drink it's time to drink until i go to sleepy (laughs) and when i eat it's also time to eat until i go to sleepy i don't like the two to mix that much uh, if I can help it, I never eat while I'm drinking until my body goes into life-saving mode. And it's like, eat five slices of pizza now. Uh, that's just how I am. I like to separate them. So, yeah, I would have I would have a nice artificial milk, right? I don't want anything organic. Yeah, you're more, of a, more of a Soylent guy? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I want, I want something that tastes like chemical to go with uh. my fucking free-range yard-to-table man. I'm very <laughs> clear on this podcast that maybe this month I've thought more than I should have about eating another human. It's true. Which, in a life-saving scenario, you guys need to take me out first, because I will be sizing you up immediately. That's been made abundantly clear during this month. Yeah, so (laughs) the movie wraps up, right? I love that Calhoun Ives puts that mocking cross on his forehead, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a cool visual. They fucking go to town. They battle it out. Hart gets his uh, throat sliced, right? Yep. And I thought this was kind of cool, right? So they have this epic battle... And it ends in them falling into this giant bear trap together, right? And Calhoun asked him this great question. He's like, I know if you die first, I'm going to eat you. Yeah. What are you going to do? 
And I thought that was, I thought that was really cool, man. And it's weird to me because I, in my brain, I'm saying, why don't you try to bite his ear off right now? Like get a yeah. little morsel and help his ass go to the grave. But Calhoun stops because he wants to put him to the test finally. Oh, yeah. That's Why the, that, do you think is that right is, right? This fucking living id who's going for it and loving it knows right. that more bodies are coming right now. It's like, why I mean, relent this is the perfect, and put him to the test? This is the per like, you ate to survive. Now will you eat to live? But why, why does Calhoun not fight more ferociously in that trap? Because I, I mean, to me, that's like, that's the, that's the Hannibal Lecter of it is he's like, it's like passing it. It's because he knows he's not technically going to die. He's passing this along. That's why he went to the camp in the first place. It was Cause, weird. Cause I, I mean, I was like, did he literally just give up his powers, his curse as it were uh, just maybe. to try to prove a point? I think he just did it because he's probably, I mean, he doesn't seem bored. He seems pretty stoked on himself. But to me, it's like man's the, you know, it's like, you know, man's the most, uh, what is the, what is the quote? Man's the most deadly game. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it is. Like, so like, to me, it's like, he's now hunted like a bunch of men. It's over with, which maybe gives way to Lobo's homo. I'm saying in the spring, it's going to be raining men. Hallelujah. Why not keep fucking fighting? I thought this was a okay now, and this is such a specific thing, right? That it has to be addressed. Why is he not more ferociously trying to take a bite out of Boyd, who is a miserable bastard, hates life, and all I could come up with is that Calhoun somehow is getting a perverse joy out of the thought that he's going to force Boyd to eat him and go on. I mean, I think that's impo- I think that makes sense. Like that would that's what I thought. I thought he was I thought it was literally like he's met his match. So now it's just a matter of fucking with him until he's finally willing to, you know, let it go. Yeah, I'm not sure how I settle on that finale, right? Cuz are we sure Boyd doesn't wake up or one of them doesn't wake up and take a bite? I think there was something to um the lady comes back, right? Cuz she told him, right? If you want to defeat a Wendigo, you have to give yourself, right? You have to give all of yourself, right? You will right. be destroyed in the process, essentially. So I was like, maybe there was something mystical in that moment of his self-sacrifice, right? That kind of negated some of this. I'm, right. I'm not sure if that. Well, that's like is that's really what it is. Is like, are you willing to be? Are you willing to be a man or the monster? It's well, I didn't know. Maybe they couldn't eat each other. To survive, like anywho, I didn't. I don't it, know. It didn't, I don't know. I don't know what Wendigo on Wendigo rules are. That's a whole other. Yeah, the Wendigo rules seem to get a little fungible at the end, and I thought it was kind. And there's something about the way the the lady comes back. She brings a general in them. She looks in the barn through the holes in the door, sees these two in a giant bear trap snuggle, and said, "Fuck y'all, fuck I'm out." out. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so she's the smartest person in the movie and knew. Fuck y'all, I'm out. Yep. So she knows this isn't over, right? That somehow, once this has been put into the the environment, it will keep consuming, which I thought was a nice touch, too. But it let me think that maybe, just maybe, she doesn't believe that whatever happens in that barn is over. Yeah. Do you think Boyd wakes up and takes the bite? No. You like the way it was there? Yeah. I think Calhoun would before Boyd. 
I feel like the movie is telling us that when it comes down to it, all of us would take that fucking bite. Yes. I think, I think that I think what, what I really like is the idea that this is not some kind of perverse just act against humanity, right? That at its very core, this is a no, world core, of consumption. Every yeah. every bit of life is fueled by consumption. Right. And I, I think the movie really hammers that home is not that it's, oh, my God, he's eating a man, but just how far people will go in consuming everything around them, yeah. often to their detriment. Um, I thought that kind of stuff in the film was, I yeah. mean, this movie is really, really goes into the deep water a lot mm -hmm. and makes it through just fine. Yeah, I think once you get past the concept of survival, the movie is about consumption, absolutely. And yeah, yeah I think it does... Again, other than a couple of very distracting audio cues, I have a... I there's, some, it, I, there's some weird of-its-time decision-making that had me worried. But then it came through so well. And I kind of figured, because everyone voted on this so fast and so frequently, I knew this one would be good. But yeah, I got to say, that first couple minutes, I was, oh, boy. <laughs> But by the end, I really love my time with this movie, man. I, th I thought this was really a fun one to watch. It was good. All right, that's it uh, for Ravenous. That's it for The Pod Serves Man Month. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next month, December, a lot of fun stuff happening. We have a double feature on the first Thursday of the month with Pin and Frailty. Amazing double feature uh, from one of our patrons. We will be stuffing the stockings of our patrons, right? So... Everyone uh, of our patrons got to submit a movie to pick. We rolled it up. We let the dice gods decide. We'll be bringing uh, a handful of those together, including a Christmas-specific film. And Alex and I will be giving each other a movie gift to discuss on an episode. Uh, so December is always one of our favorite months. So stay tuned. Again, the Patreon is patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. That way you can get in on all the voting fun. You can have us talk about the movies you want. Go to the YouTube, uh, Film Alchemist, so you can see our beautiful faces, you lucky devils. Uh, the email, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on all the socials you're on. Please tell your friends and share us on your socials. It means the world to us. Uh, those five-star rating review help us defeat the algorithmic Wendigo's trying to consume us up on the net. Uh, until next time, for the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffin. I am Alex Dandino. <laughs>